Maybe that is the next year, isn't that? Right before the spring, that'd be a nice one. That'd be a nice one. <laughs> All right, put on glasses. Don't make fun of me. Get the old. Wait till he gets braces. Some days, some days, like I can. I already told him last night, dude. I told you, funny. Take it like a little girl. And it's just the one eye, so it always feels like it's like I don't want to like. Come on now, easy. Now, now I'm so conscious. Now I'm so conscious. All right, so we're going to talk about the Book of Ephesians today, and. uh uh, and so I kind of gave, if you saw out there on Facebook a little bit of, ahead of time, uh, going to want you to turn to Acts 19, put a thumb on there, and then you're going to actually put a thumb on Ephesians uh, chapter 1, and I want you to put a thumb on that one, because that's where we're going to be today. And the reasons we're jumping from Acts 19, like, well, Pastor, if we're going to read about Ephesians, why are we starting in Acts 19? Because you got to see how it starts. Like, by the time you read the epistle, if all, if all you ever read is the epistle, you never understand, like, how it got there to that place. How, how did we get to a place where there was a church at Ephesus? It's not right or sometimes not a, 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 a proper, per se, to really in understanding someone to just pick it up at a later, later time. Uh, like, when you get to know somebody, when you get to know somebody, you, you tend to want to know everything. Why did you become the person you became? Well, I need to see it all. I need to see from birth to end here. I need, a, I need a good beginning. I need to see how the process has gone for you in the middle, and I need to see how it finishes. And so literally, this process is going to take us from Acts chapter 19, guys, all the way to Revelation chapter 2. And so uh, uh, in the process of probably about an eight or ten week uh, ordeal, we're going to go through this epistle. And we're going to, and in the past, the, the irony is, is in the past I've kind of like, uh, like stepped over some of the deep truth that's in this because it's uh, it's hard to understand and th- and there might be things I say today that you, uh, you're going to be like uh, yeah I didn't get that at all like I Jesus loves us thank you Pastor and that's going to be about the extent of it and I feel like okay all that was for nothing on my end but but I'm trying know this I'm trying I'm trying it's hard to convey deep truth it's like one of those things where like sometimes the light bulb just needs to go on and that's only a God thing and sometimes only God can do that thing there's no there's sometimes you ever seen like I've seen some really good teachers try to tell me stuff. And I'm like listening intently. He's like, did you get it? You got it, right? Like, yeah, no, I, I don't, I didn't get anything. I don't know what you're talking about. There's a funny uh, video that we showed uh, to the youth years back, and uh, it's called Kids Snippets. And these uh, basically grown-ups, they act out what these kids do. And so they're, they, they grab an older kid and try to explain to a younger kid how math works. And in, the, in this video, it's, it's kind of this idea of, he's trying to explain it, nine plus one is, is how many? And he's like trying to tell him, like, this many, and he's like, one. And he's like, okay, no, nine, five, six, seven. And he can't get it, and he's like, and like in the end, he's like, you get it? And the kid's like, no. You get it? <laughs> he just keeps going on, like, you get it? Because he doesn't know how to explain it, right? It's like, you don't get it, and you might not get it, and, and that's the part of the process. But we do know this, that eventually, within a few years, and a little bit more training, they get it. So don't be upset today. For some reason, like, I don't know, like, he was talking so for my head. Like, okay, some of it will be. But that's okay. It's okay to be exposed to deep truth. What I can't stand more than anything is for somebody to withhold from me or think that I'm not smart enough to understand the truth. To me, that's so judgmental. Like, I would rather you give me all the evidence. I might not be smart enough to process it. But I want it all. I want it all. I don't want you to withhold from me. And, and one thing I have discovered over the years in my search in theology and things like that, really theology is nothing more than a vessel of God's truth, like how to convey God's truth. 
and in studying theology and learning a lot about theology and the different ideas that are out there in the Bible, um, it's taken me years to grasp some things. There's some things that I, that I can speak so easily about to you, but what you don't see is the three years it took for me to learn it. That's what you don't see, the behind the scenes of reading some of the dumbest, the most boringest books, because I just want to understand. I just want to understand. So today, we're going to be talking about Ephesus. There's good stuff here. I'm going to give you some historical references. We're going to start in Acts 19. You can jump there right now while I'm talking. The church of Ephesus was a fairly large city in its day. It's said to be rough, uh, basically a rough population of around 35,000. I'm just going to try to give you some historical references first. Let's understand what we're talking about. Uh, it was considered so prosperous that it was known uh, at one time as the highway to Rome. Right? It was the gateway for trade and resources uh, to Asia and all other sorts of nations. And so its culture was one of wealth. Its culture uh, was uh, one that was full of art and all different types of, if you will, the technology of the day. And so uh, it was pretty advanced when it comes to cities. So big difference from being a small little Jewish town to something that's full of Romans, it's full of uh, uh, Asians, and all kinds of cultures have grown into this place now. So it's a very different type of place. Acts 19, basically, we start here because it records Paul's arrival into Ephesus. Paul discovered that there was a few disciples already there. However, uh, they'd only heard a few teachings from John the Baptist. Now, the Bible records Paul shares uh, uh, with them, the, those who had heard about Jesus, or they'd heard about like John's uh, version of, of Jesus, so to speak. And so in Acts 19, if you're there, around verse 4, I'm just going to read a couple of scriptures here real quick, and, and this is kind of the beginning, right? Paul meets some people that say they've heard of Jesus, they have uh, 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 basically heard John's gospel of the Jesus, not the Apostle John, but John the Baptist, and so when we start at verse 4, it says, and Paul said, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus, and on hearing this... <coughs> They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on him now, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Now, the Holy Spirit right here in this moment, we see that the, the baptism that John speaks of has happened, which is the water baptism. But now Paul speaks of a second baptism that's happened, which is the Holy Spirit baptism. It first arrives in Acts chapter 2. If you haven't read it, go back and read it. It's a good read. Uh, it's pretty crazy. Matter of fact, uh, if you really want to see strange things, you don't have to go to Netflix, guys. Just stay in church. All right? I'm, I'm telling you, uh, there's some weird stuff that goes on in church. And uh, I promise you that uh, also when you encounter things uh, that the human mind cannot comprehend, like the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, you're bound to find some opposition to. It's going to happen. Uh, which is exactly where Paul finds himself in Ephesus. Now, during the two years that Paul lived there in Ephesus, crazy things happened, all right? So we know right off the bat, people were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, um, the dominant part of what you're going to see in the book of Acts is that when the Holy Spirit does come upon somebody, they start speaking weird, all right? I ain't making that jump up, guys. That's just the Bible. It's kind of a weird thing for our theology because it kind of blows our, uh, blows our mind, really. Like, I don't know what to make of this. It sounds like gibberish. I know. I know. Right? Like, by the way, Pentecostals make fun of this. 
Uh, we, you know, we used to say, like, you know, when we would describe it, we'd say, you know, bought a Honda, but I wish I bought a Kia, right? <clears throat> we make fun of that stuff, too, okay? We get that it sounds weird. We get that that thing happens, but it's unrefutable. And the Bible describes that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when it's poured out that these believers, according to the book of Acts, the first thing we experience with this weird tongues, this weird language, this weird prayer language that just, like, takes control of our mouth. I mean, it just does, right? So all these people are like building tongues so already. Uh, I don't know about this church. This church speaks weird, right? The next thing that happens is, uh, and this is not like a, they learned another language, guys. This is like, I don't understand what you're saying, kind of stuff, right? The next thing is that they also begin to prophesy. So like normal people who like, you know, like, you know, like people you think, well, man, they really got much of a skill, man, but all of a sudden they're like, man, I'm about to tell you what's happening. Let me tell you, God has told me that what's going to happen in your life is da 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 And all of a sudden it comes through and you're like, who the heck is that person? What happened to them? How do they all of a sudden know all these truths? What, what, where are they getting this inside information, right? I mean, like, this is some weird stuff that begins to happen. The Holy Spirit is pouring itself out in Ephesus to the point where, like, uh, people are starting to take notice. Another thing that happens, and this is where it gets, like, really weird. It would be like uh, <clears throat> if I were Paul and I'm like, you know what, I'm just I, I'm sweating a little bit. I'm going to leave this here. You pick it up. You have some kind of, I've got the flu. Oh, I don't realize that uh, Pastor Jim touches, but as soon as I touch her, I'm completely healed. Weird. That's strange stuff, man. It says that uh, uh, handkerchiefs and even aprons that Paul had just, just barely touched Paul's skin, they carried these aprons and touched the sick with them and the disease. And listen, even like the demon possessed, right? And they're all healed. Uh, Yeah. The name of Jesus starts to spread like a wildfire. I'm, I mean, just let's face it, wouldn't that do it for you? Wouldn't that do it for you? I mean, if all of a sudden, man, the Holy Spirit falls upon this place and you start speaking in, in weird languages, are you, how are you going to explain that? If the Holy Spirit comes upon us in such a way, which, by the way, we should be praying for it daily. Yeah. All right? To the point where all of a sudden people start getting healed. Like, you know, my, my kids are saying, I'm just going to bring them to church, man. They can give We all just start praying when the kids get completely healed and made all right there. How are you going to like live your life after that? How, how are you going to like deny the existence of Jesus? How are you going to deny this fellowship that God wants with you? I mean, like this is some crazy stuff. Matter of fact, you don't even got to come to church. The church, these people from church are just going to bring you like handkerchiefs to your house and try to convince you to see this handkerchief. It's going to save your life. That's crazy talk. That's crazy talk. It's weird stuff, right? Crazy stuff. Listen, it's crazy today. It was crazy back then. And so things begin to change. And I, 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 change is always going to come when the Holy Spirit gets active. When he starts really being active, we, we are going to see change in here, in our city, everywhere we go. I once heard it said that the world isn't waiting for a new definition of Christianity. What it's waiting for is, is a, is a uh, new demonstration of Christianity. Anywhere you find the gospel being preached, you're going to find change. Spiritual physical change. That is, and listen, by the way, when you don't find change and the gospel is being preached, we're going to step that when we get to the end of that Because that's possible as well. It's possible. By the way, I could go into a whole sermon right now about this one. But this is the born again life. The born again life has this do-over perspective. We can start again. We can do things again. We can, we can we have another chance and the city of Ephesus now, in the midst of this culture clash, because all of a sudden Jesus has invaded this city. He's, he's been poured in now. 
And by the way, the Bible says we're sin abounds, grace abounds much more. So where all these cultures and clash and all these different things, it's false idols and all these things are clashing. Jesus has been poured into there. Now grace is abounding and the Holy Spirit is running crazy. And there becomes a paradigm shift in the culture. Acts 19, 18 through 20, if you're still there, just go on down a little ways to verse 18. Verse 18 starts, Many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of it all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So some people were like practicing uh, 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 witches and warlock, that kind of stuff, and, 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 and uh, psychic type stuff. And they had all these like spell books and all these things like that. And they're like, man, I got saved. I got to get rid of all this stuff. You know how it is, right? I, I, I mean, some of you might have been like that. I know for me, it was kind of like that. Like, man, I got rid of like a whole CD. I had like a burn barrel. I got to get rid of all this stuff. This, I mean, like the funny thing about it, I think when I got saved, it was like everything was a devil. Oh, it's the devil. Got burned the devil. You know, which is irony because then he live in fire. I mean, like, that's the whole perception, too. So I don't know how burning everything in fire is like, that's going to make it better, too. But I, I don't know. But, like, that's how it seemed for him. Like, oh, this stuff's the devil. I got to get rid of everything's the devil. Right? And, and, and so, like, there's, that's what happens here, though. There's this, like, when, when repentance happens, there, repentance means to turn completely 180. It's not a 360, guys. It's a 180. You turn completely away from the life that was, turn completely away and walk a different way. You're walking differently now. And so this has kind of caused an issue. So the town that prizes financial wealth, listen, the easiest uh, way to bring the change is to squeeze the pocketbook a bit. When in, a, in a town that's all about wealth, they got to do is squeeze the pocketbook, and that's exactly what's the tipping point for Ephesus. They were unwilling to treat the Holy Spirit, listen, as long as it didn't affect business. By the way, I could preach a whole sermon on about how while we're willing to tolerate Jesus as long as he doesn't have to like move us too much and out of our comfort zone. Like, I'll come to church. That's why people can come to church and never be changed. Oh, Jesus, you're asking me to change. No, I want you to just be okay with my life. I, I don't want to repent and turn 180. I just want you to love me just how I am. I do love you just how you are. But there's no way we can walk together if you're not changed because that's not love. You don't love me. You just want what I have. Love change. I'm going to say right now, after being married 20 years, being together for 22, uh, and one thing me and Joy will say about every married couple, there is no way you do not come, you become like your spouse. You'll start to laugh like your spouse, you look like your spouse. You'll start to pick up like the way your spouse smiles and smile like them too. You don't even realize it. They did a study a long time ago. I showed how they put married couples up in pictures, right? And after like 40 years or 50 years, they start to look the same. They start to look where people think, you brother and sister. <laughs> That's what happens when you get around somebody too long, guys. Right? You start to look like them. Why do you imitate them? When you, you imitate them, you start to look like them. That's love, guys. Because you find the things in them, those things that you're becoming, you're becoming them because you're attracting those. You see that as a side of you that you want, you desire. Jesus is the same way, guys. If you're looking at Jesus all the time, you just, then you're going to desire the way he does things, desire the way he sees things, and want the things he wants, and hurt for the things that he hurts for. It's going to change you. And if it's not, it's because you're not loving. Mm -hmm. You're not loving. So they reached the tipping point for Ephesus. They're, they're willing to tolerate the Holy Spirit, but come on, man, don't affect our businesses, bro. Like, let us worship our false idols, and we'll worship God too. That's not how it works in God. Right? I found it a lot that when our convictions start to cost us financially, Paul and Christ is 
this financial crisis it basically causes a riot amongst uh, the businesses that are suffering to the point that Paul is eventually ran out of town. I mean, they run him out of town. You gotta go. They're gonna kill you. They start a riot, right? And you're gonna go. So this two years that he preaches got two years of miracles and two years of some strange things happening, two years of wonderful ministry to all of a sudden now you're affecting the city. You're affecting the whole of the city. Right now you're starting to cause a riot, Paul, because uh, uh, people who were buying all these false gods that we were making with our hands, uh, like every time you wanted this little nice little false god that, that you worshipped uh, made out of silver or your magician's book that you think you needed that helped you tell spells that made your life this self-help uh, magic book uh, that you that you had. Um, all of these things, uh, they don't need them anymore, Paul. You're causing an issue. Can you imagine? By the way, we're not far from America, okay? I mean, if Jesus came back, you know, we'd kill the whole self-help book market. He'd kill it. I saw Ephesus is under crisis. Pushes Paul out. And this is the background. This is our beginning, if you will, of the insight into how the church of Ephesus was birthed into being. Now, a few things. There is no church plant effort by the churches in Ephesus. This is all Paul walking in, right? It's only Paul. Him seeking out, searching for those who've already heard the gospel of Jesus. That's just how it starts, all right? It's not like, hey, Church of Jerusalem, we're going to send Paul out. Uh, we're going to hand him about $100,000, and uh, we're going to give him a bunch of church planting books. And uh, once he's qualified, right, he's done his theology, and he's done uh, 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 he's done his thesis paper, and we can actually say, write him off as, yes, that he is a true minister of Jesus. Uh, we'll go ahead and let him do that. But no, it's not like that at all. It's not like that. It's organic. Hey, I just showed up in this town. You know Jesus? You know him? Yeah, well, we've heard of John, we've heard John the Baptist, and we were preached about it one time or another, man. We all got, we went down to the water, man, got baptized in the door. I got another baptism that you haven't heard of yet. You know, and that's how it starts. Welcome to the church in Ephesus. Right? They're drawn together by and through the gospel. Jesus now is the glue that brings this whole foundation together in Ephesus. And despite all the extreme amounts of persecution, this riot and all this stuff, by the way, the highway to Rome is eventually going to be called the highway to Martyrs. Because eventually in Ephesus, outside the gates, there are going to be spears with the heads of Christians lining the rope. Persecution is coming for the church of Ephesus. But despite all these things, Ephesus is going to do some good things, guys. So the letter to Ephesus is believed to have been oh, written about, about four years after Paul left. It's, it's about four years after he left. And it's presumed that Paul basically at this time is in a Roman prison. All right? That's where he's at. He's in a Roman prison. He's had time to reflect upon his travels, the, the teachings of Christ. He's kind of reading these scrolls that he has. He's addressing the things that he's been hearing about the churches to which he had a part in establishing. Now, he is not the rock of the church of Ephesus. Jesus Christ is. He just came there and, and kind of added some teaching around people who are already in love with Jesus. I mean, he didn't have to do much. The fire was started. The spark was begun. He just threw some flames on. He just threw some like you know, gasoline on. That's all he did. The spark had already begun through John the Baptist, but he threw flames on. And so, notice that the church isn't some organizational object at this point. The church in Ephesus is not built around a building or an organization. It's built entirely at this point on the relationships of those who call themselves 
the disciples of Christ, where they were just working actively to engage their community. And let me tell you, like when we say community, it makes you think of like the whole city of Marble Falls, like they're uh, knocking on every door, hey, do you know Jesus? Uh, no, it was more like, uh, yeah, I work with you, so I'm going to, uh, man, I'm just saying that I heard come and change my life. Why don't you come over for dinner? That's the church. By the way, that's who Paul writing here. He's not writing like some organization group. Church in Ephesus. Under the hierarchy of the bishop and the cardinal. No, no, no. None of exist. It's a group of friends. And they keep adding more friends by telling them about what's the thing that's inside of their life. It's changed their life. They see things they can't explain. They begin to tell about the miracles they can't begin to tell about these things. And the church of Ephesus is not birthed out of that. There isn't some denominational hierarchy here. Paul is not the pastor of this church. He's not even the leader of it. He, now, he exhorts and he corrects and he teaches through his apostolic gifting that he has, right? But listen, the only reason he has any kind of uh, ability to speak into the church of Ephesus is because two years he lived and worked and walked amongst them. Oh, man, I'm going to tell you right now, the church can learn a lesson. Pastors can learn a lesson. The church plans can learn a lesson if they would just do that. They throw these guys right into a new city and you don't know anything about them. They try to just wild you with their there's something to be said about working and walking and living amongst each other. That's how strength and bonds happen. That's how a church happens where Paul can go two years later, be, be uh, or, or two years of ministry there, four years away, and still come back and speak to that church. Still have an investment into that church. Why? You know, we have a tendency to say as a friend, I, you can critique me all day long as long as you pour it into me. Criticism is a funny thing. We, we, well, I, you know, you know, I've seen like memes and stuff that talk about don't let people criticize you, blah, blah, blah. Wait a minute, wait a minute here. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're my friend, you definitely criticize me. You know why? Because you love me. So when I'm doing something that you think might be wrong in love, you will go, man, let me tell you something, man. It's a correct. You will, or, or when I'm doing right, let me, let me, man, I'm so proud of you doing so good. You exhort, right? And, and when like you think you can make somebody's life easier because you have a little bit of experience in something, Right? You're, you're taking an hour to do something that could take 10 minutes if you just knew the trick. So somebody goes, hey, I'm not trying to be mean here, but if you did it this way, it would be better. And you're like, I don't like your criticism. You're mean to me. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. Relational investment allows for criticism. Relational investment allows for exhortation. Relational investment allows for correction. I can correct you because you know I love you. I can teach you and you'll receive from me because you know I love you. How do you know I love you? Because I tell you? No. How many times have you been told somebody loved you and you know they didn't love you? You know I love you because I walk and live amongst you. I walk, live, work amongst you. Paul, I walk, live, work amongst you. So I'm going to write you this letter because I've heard some things that need to be talked about. That need to be talked about. And like always, Paul, Paul begins always graciously. By the way, leadership trick 101. Before you criticize or construct or correct or anything, always start with something nice. I mean, if you brought off the bat, that was the sorriest thing I've ever seen. So like, hey, with you. Like, man, but if I started going, golly, this, this, you're, you're, if I said something like this, like your endurance is amazing. And I am so proud of your perseverance in this but can I help you a little bit? And here comes the correction. Now, you see how I did that? 
I totally let you know that I am your friend. That I am not saying the things I say to you now to hurt you. I'm saying it because I love you. Right? So listen now as we read Paul and we read the first bit. And now you start to understand every time why Paul opens kind of like this. Listen to what he says there in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Now you can thumb over from 19 over to Ephesians 1. Say amen if you're there. That's not a good amen. Say amen if you're there. Amen. Quiet on the side. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, listen, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where he starts. Right? And if you go and you read every uh, New Testament epistle, you're going to find out uh, that the church isn't perfect. And, and listen, I know, I know, right? It's a real shocker that the church isn't but like any other good leader, Paul begins this way. He's expressing his love. He's going to comfort them. It's the calm before the storm, so to speak. Right? The, uh, the Ephesians were struggling with some legalistic issues. They were struggling with some things about being worldly. And I'm not sure that they thought of themselves as saints. By the way, do you? You walk around calling yourself, I'm the saint of God, man. By the way, Jesus does. I'm not sure they thought of themselves as saints. I don't even know if they thought of themselves as faithful, because I think we all struggle there, right? Not, not that we're not, by the way, because in Christ we are. Christ imputes that into us. He imparts it right into us, man. So God the Father never he sees us as saints. God the Father sees us as faithful, because he's not looking at you. He's looking at Jesus. Jesus in you. So Paul, like right now, it's like really kind of like being Jesus to them, man. It's kind of like calling them something that they feel like they're not. Right? Christ has a way of doing that, you know? He always says like this thing about calling you something you never feel like you are, or maybe it's not yet. And, and, and maybe it's because Christ is omnipotent that he calls you basically what you'll become. Because of him it already is. You get that? He's omnipotent. He's in the past and he's in the present. To him, you already are the saints of God. To him, you already are the faithful. To him, you already are the beloved, the sons and daughters of the adoption. To him, you already are those things. Christ called Peter the rock. Peter, you're so lost. You're the rock for which I will build my church. Peter, do you know who this guy is? Man, the heck with that, dude. I don't know nothing about that, dude. That happened right afterwards. As soon as Jesus calls him the rock, right when we get to the cross and times get tough, what does Peter do? Denies it three times. So listen, on the third time, if you didn't know it, he says some curse words. No. You know this guy? No. I don't know him. I don't know that. Heck no. I don't know that dude. Right? And then Peter becomes what? The rock in Acts 2. He preaches about the Jesus who's his best friend, who all of you killed, who was the son of God. Thousands of people come to the church. He stands up. He becomes something completely different. You see, his life is utterly changed from the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. How about Paul? We're talking about Paul here. Paul had to get knocked off his horse. By the way, his name wasn't Paul, it was Saul. It was Saul of Tarsus is who he was. And when he got knocked off the horse, he came, he became Paul, right? Who is born again. No longer is this guy. I don't even know Saul anymore. Saul is dead. 
only Paul lives there. And Paul is the saint of God, the apostle of Jesus Christ. That guy's dead, man. He doesn't exist anymore. This is kind of what God does. So like Paul's going, oh, you're the saints. You're the faithful ones. Now, now listen, Paul says it because there's some deep things going on here. And this is why he unveils. He starts with saints. And he starts with faithful ones. But how can you call it? You're about to correct them, Paul. So they don't seem so faithful if you're going to have to correct them. And they don't seem much like saints if they got problems. That's the dumbest thing ever. But that's how people think. So he moves in and he says, let me explain it a little bit to you. And uh, by the way, if you feel like I don't get it, so did Peter. Peter all the time was like, hey, Paul's like super smart and you should listen to what he says, but I don't know what he's saying. That's how Peter was. So believe me, it's it's common. So Ephesians 1, 3 through 10, and this is the deep stuff, so get ready. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even, listen, as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, and with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the richness of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in earth. Say what? What? I don't even know if like half of us understand that when we read it the first time. Paul, what Paul states here is like an extremely deep truth. Paul unveils that all of you have been chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world, before it was formed. What? Too many glance over this. That's what we do. We glance over, we use it like a superscription. Don't worry, God chose you from the foundation of the world. What's that mean? I don't know. But it sounds good. I'm going to put it on a coffee mug and drink my coffee. Too many quote that thing, man. And, 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 and I get no clear clue as to what it implies. Hear me. The implication about this is that from the very beginning, we are not an afterthought. We're not an afterthought. From the beginning, and when I say the beginning, I mean like, uh, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. We're not an afterthought in that conversation. God intended to create us. He intended, He chose us before the foundation. Before He created a world, He had already chosen to have us. Already. It's done. Before before creation started, He chose us. Right? The idea of you, your your birth in life, was, was no accident. God's love was absolutely intentional in creation. It was always God's plan for you to be holy and blameless. Always. Never was a time where it's not that way. From the very beginning, God has always purposed to redeem you. Read Genesis 3. Soon as mankind fell and sin had entered into man, by the way, a plan was hatched. I will have you. I'm, you are mine. You, I want you in this 
community of a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want you right here with me. Right in the fellowship of the triune God. Right there. Right? Now, your holiness, the, the things, all those things right there, right? All that's purposed in Christ in you, right? It's going to be imparted to you through Christ. God's not worried about, oh, well, I'm not that holy God. Yeah, I know. That's why I got Jesus. That's the plan, guys. I'm not worried about it. I love you so much, man. I'm going to, I'm going to raise up. We're going, to, we're going to take Christ, who's already part of eternity. I'm going to stick him in the form of a body. And I've got a plan, guys, to make it happen. So that even though you can't be holy, and even though you can't be blameless, he's going to be holy, and he's going to be blameless for you. Because I want you that bad. That I will overlook. I will overlook. Now, you all deserve hell. But I'm going to overlook that because I love you. So I'm going to create a way for you not to ever have to experience that. So for all of our focus, it's funny to me, for all of our focus on God's wrath and God's anger, does that sound like the work of an angry guy? I'm going to explain more of that when we get to the end, but come on, guys. God, it's all about love. The, this whole thing begins because God loves us too much to let us go. Couldn't you just walk us out and start it over? Why not? Would you do that to your kid if they get bad? You know what, man? Let's get another I know we tell them that. I know we tell them that. I will just make another one, sir. You can be replaced. That's not true. We know that. No. It's funny to say, but we know that. They're not always the best. Right? Sometimes there's times they want me to make this one pull out of hair. We never stop loving them. You think we just get that because that's just us? That's who we are? That's the greatness about being humans? No, you get that from Jesus, guys. You get that because that's been created in you. That's the part of God in you. You don't understand it because sin confuses you and never lets you really understand how much of God is really you. Paul states that our adoption, you know, he moves on, he says, he says, man, that your adoption was predestined. You being sons and the daughters of Jesus, all that was predestined. All right? For the foundation of the world, he chose you. So he predestined you, right? Uh, now, there's a word we stay away from, predestination. Uh, it seems too big, maybe a bit too sci-fi. You're like, I saw that movie. It's weird. Uh, yeah, I'm not talking about the movie. But it can be weird. It's a big word, predestination, man. It invokes a lot of thought. Like, what does that mean? Does that mean like, oh, God, I have my name already picked out? No, no, no. I mean, he knew what my parents I mean, like, we start thinking about all that stuff. But we got to deal with it. You can't just, like, avoid it because it's too hard. And it's not a new concept, and it's not a new word for Paul. And if you read a lot of the Bible, you're going to see that he talks about it all the time. There's, like, this reoccurring thing where Paul talks about predestination. Let me explain a little bit better using Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. You don't have to go there, but if you want to, you can. Romans chapter 8, 28 through 30. You've got to keep it all in context here. A lot of people don't. We just quote one verse because that's the one we like. And then we cut off the back half because we don't understand it. So we say, and we know that, though, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. We put a period there instead of the comma. Because to understand the comma means I've got to keep reading. We don't want to keep reading. I just want to know that it's all going to work out for good for me. But the comma says, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that the, he the first, be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. What? That's hard stuff. I don't know how that has to work in with... Uh, uh, 28. Like I just like want. I just want that verse. Don't. I mean, I don't need to know all the hard stuff. Yeah, you do. You need to know why it works. You need to know why uh, uh, good things work 
together for good for them who love God according. You need to know why it works. It's just, it's the best way to accurately understand the scriptures to keep things in context. And truthfully, we could read all of chapter 8, but we don't have time. I have to get into how deep this thing could go. So we're just going to work with this. Those who are called according to his purposes, the clause for good things. That's the tag that causes the pause, or it should. After all, it's why all things work together for good to those who love God. Listen, it works according to his purpose, not yours. That's the other one, too. Well, it says that all things work together. And who love God? I love God, so it's going to work out for my best. Uh huh. But that might not be what you want. God, I just want you to be in the middle of this and I want the best for my life. You might hate it. You might kick and scream the whole way. I'm going to talk about that a little bit too. What is the purpose that God has called us to? Well, it's simple. Because that's what we say. We work from the purpose, right? And, and, and from there, it basically goes into uh, God has called us. Well, from that, from that means God has foreknew who, him who he foreknew, right? Go back to the uh, Ephesians, right? He he knew us before the foundations of the world. So that's why Paul starts here. That's the same reference back. He knew us, the Lord who knew you before the foundations of the world. So that's why Romans 8 says those who he foreknew, those who he knew beforehand, who from the time that God decided to create man, he already knew your name, by the way. Not because, the funny thing is you think because he's some kind of, like our instinct is to go, God is psychic, right? It's because he knows what my mom's going to think and my dad's going to think. Or is it because he plants that seed because that was his name for you? Some, some, sometimes we're too human and not enough spiritual. God called your name. Not your mom and dad. God planted that seed. God planted that seed because he poured you. He knew you before the foundations of the world. His plan was always to create you. Always. We were known. Even when we didn't know ourselves, he determined to know us. He predestined us. Predestined us before the foundations of the world to become the image of Jesus Christ. The image of Jesus. Now, how does God feel about Jesus? Well, I'm pretty sure that the Father and the Son are one. United in fellowship along with the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that say about God as predestined us to? I mean, do you understand the depth of that statement? That there's a human being Jesus now, that's in the triune God. He's not there in Genesis. He's decided to come down. We just had Christmas, right? Be born of a virgin. Rose up to carry the cross. Die, resurrect, and he sinned. So now in the triune being of God, there's a man. Flesh. is in the Sitting on the right hand of the throne. It's not spirit, it's flesh. A human being now is in the triune. God loved the creation so much, it sits right next to him on the throne. And God says, I've now predestined you to be in the same image as him. So where does that mean you're going to be? Right there with him. Right in fellowship. Right in fellowship with him. Right? We're predestined to be the sons and the daughters of the Father. Now how is it accomplished? Well, it goes from predestination, right? From foreknowledge to call. We're called. Now, are you called? Hang on there. Do not get confused. Don't confuse this with some gifting of the Holy Spirit. Well, I think I'm called to be a priest. No, 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 no
You, you might have a calling, and you're given a calling to go someplace and use your gift, and those things are a type of calling, but the calling he's talking about here, the calling he's talking about is the very one the Holy Spirit says to whisper in your ear, and says, All of a sudden, you've seen the flash of your life, and you've seen the sins of your own life, the depravity of your own soul, the bad decisions all you make, and you see the light of Christ, right? That's God. It's always the quiet voice, too. It's never the loud one. Gosh, it sure would be easy if it was loud. But it's always the quiet voice. I'm right? Jesus, right now, is calling Right now, drawing you, if you will, to the very things he's predestined you to. Fellowship with the Father. He's called you into this fellowship and it was accomplished through salvation, as Paul implies here. Through the word justified, actually. Right? Through the word justified. Called. Who we call you? Justifies. What? What is that's the act of salvation, by the way. When I say yes to God, Lord, come into, come into my heart. Like we use that as an easy prayer, but when you say it's not always that. It's not always Jesus coming into my heart. Well, that's it. No, no, no. It happens when it's real. I don't care how, what words you say. You can tell somebody who walks with Jesus. Can't be fooled by it. Now, I'm going to tell you, it's not so noticeable in the beginning. We're still trying to get off the old flesh. We're still kind of walking some of that out. The process is difficult and hard, and we're not to judge in those moments. But it's happening. It's happening. That sanctification part, the salvation part is happening, right? This, this imparting of justify means just as if I'd never sinned. Well, wait a minute, I know I'm a sinner. Yeah, no, 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 but you've taken on Jesus now. Jesus is, is imparting justification in you. He's, he's now making it to the Father as if you've never sinned. As if you've never sinned. So God, is, the work of salvation now has from call to justify you. And then it keeps moving. It's through the atonement that we're made righteous. It seals the adoption. And from there, Paul continues out the progression from justification, and he, I love it, it like, just like skips the process, to glorification, that looks like from the time you're saved to the time you die, which is irony that in three words we know justification, glorification, that's your whole life. But here we find the work of sanctification. Sanctification is easy. It's the process that God walks with someone until the glorious day where you're together in spirit. Pretty simple. God, who has given so much for the sake of love, wouldn't have it any other way. Wouldn't have it any other way. He wouldn't miss a single minute, not a single second of that journey with you. That's why he's omnipotent, omnipresent. He is always with you. Always. Not just like when you need him and it's like, oh, it's come down now, God. No, like even when you're happy. Yeah, he's there. But like, like the funny thing is, we're always like, God, they, there's so much these pictures that betray God is so mean and angry, and yet we know God's omnipresent. He's with us even when we sin. And yet God still keeps saying, please come back to me. Come to me. Come to me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Come to me. Come to me. I love you. I love you. Remember the story of the man of La Mancha, the Don Coyote? I talked about it in here. Some of you have heard it, some of you have not. But remember how he is with uh, 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 Aldonza? Aldonza, the, the prostitute, the woman who has been scorned. Uh, the men have used her up. Life has taught her ugly lessons, right? You know this story. I've told some of you this story, but for those who hadn't heard uh, or remember this story, right? She's she's uh, uh, not the. Uh, she is beautiful, but come on, uh, she's roughed up a bit. She's gone through some things in her life. But Don Quixote is a strange one. He sees her as gorgeous, and he, he refuses to call her by Aldonza. 
because Aldonza is kind of like a simple term, and it, it, it's just kind of a simple name, but it's what he likes to call it Eltonian. More of a noble type name, more of a name not fitting a prostitute, for sure. And, he just, and she hates him because she thinks he's a fool, right? Well, well, this is what Jesus is too, guys. He's always calling me. Don't you see yourself, my saints of God? Don't you see yourselves, my faithful ones? Don't you see yourselves, my sons and my daughters? Don't you see yourselves? And you're like, no, you're a moron. Can't you see how I am? Can't you see how I behave? Can't you see how I'm acting? Can't you see how I'm behaving? And he's like, I love you. You're dumb. That's stupid. Who loves somebody like that? I do. I do. I'm of heaven and earth, man. I've been talking about you since day one. Since before you were born, before the foundations of the world. I, I can wait every every single second, every single minute. I'm, I'm, my omnipresent is with you because I don't want to be away. And you still think God's mad and angry and everything else is funny. God's done all this because of his love. His love has pushed all of this out. It's what's controlling everything, by the way, guys. Even his wrath and his anger. Maybe the reason that this epistle is in the Bible is because God wants us to see all the church has to suffer or endure. Now, I don't know, but maybe, maybe also because there's a lot of deep stuff here. That's like we're lying right underneath the surface. And, and here's the key, guys. Knowing the truth, knowing, knowing this truth is knowing Christ. The more you understand this truth, the more you understand who Jesus is. No, the more you understand who Jesus is, the more you live in assurance. Now, by the way, all of you need that. How many of you struggle with assurance? Like, I don't know from one day to the next if I'm saved. Like, I feel like some days, I'm pretty sure uh, I am not the beloved of Jesus. Right? There's like three people that raise their hands, and everybody else just don't want to be honest and raise their hands. Whatever. Because that's the truth. Most of us all struggle with assurance. Like, we struggle with that. Right? But here's the thing. It's knowing knowing about Jesus, physically being able to go to these scriptures and understand them, going to the Bible and seeing God pour himself out for you, right? It's the knowing part that gives us assurance. Because let me tell you something, uh, um, it's the assurance that God provides that allows us to walk in freedom. Because here's what assurance provides. When you know, when you know, of course, When you know, when you know Jesus, and you walk in assurance, that's when you're free. That's when you can actually like, man, I messed up today. But it's okay, I'm gonna try better. And I don't have to beat myself up, and there's no more self-guilt. Why? Because God loves me. We're gonna work this thing out. I have confidence in him who has called me from before the foundations of the world. He's predestined me once to be called into the image of the Son of God. Why? Because God desires for me to be with him. And I see every act that I encounter in my life now as the love of God transformed in me. What about, what, what about when I have a bad day? Guess what that is? That's my sin nature and it's rubbing against everything. But you know what? It doesn't matter because I have assurance that everything's okay. That Jesus is going to carry me through. Why? Because I know him. The more I know, the more assured I am. The more assured I am, the more freedom I walk in. But like, I, like, believe me, man, if there was this kid in school, I told you some of these guys, no, I've, I've talked to him since he has a church in Borny, thinks Kevin Cox hated that guy. It's like, how can there be a guy who's happy all the time? 
Faker, liar. Dude knew Jesus. Guess who was the the crazy one? Well, that was me. Judgmental, sorry individual that looked at this kid. He seems like everybody likes this guy. Like he never, I never even cuss. He never makes a mistake. Like all his friends that act like him, man, they come around. They smoke dope with me. They drink with me. They do all the things they shouldn't be doing. Why? What's up with this dude? He ain't, he ain't fooling nobody. <laughs> right. Turns out he knew Jesus. Turns out, man, he would leave school, go to a seminary, get a seminary degree, go to Seattle, of all places, for his town. I grew up in a town, by the way, of like a, a thousand people. You know, graduated with 75 people. This guy went to Seattle where he'd never been, planted a church, and, and for 10 years enjoyed that church plant. Handed it off to somebody else, went all the way back down here, and did it again. Matter of fact, he's planted two more churches since he's been, been there that have been offsets of his church. He knew Jesus. He still acts like that. He didn't love me now because I know Jesus. <laughs> and I see that now. I see what I was missing. Like he, how are you so how are you okay all the time? Because he knew Jesus, man. And he walked in the assurance that God loves you. Man, don't you have a bad day? Of course I have a bad day. But God loves me. I know it's all gonna work out. Because I love God and God loves me. And I'm assured of that. So I can walk in freedom, man. I'm good. I can be okay. Yeah, it's going to hurt a little bit. That's okay. I have joy in my life, which means, man, it's, it's, it's going to pass. It's going to pass. Real happiness. Not the happiness we always fleetingly try to chase. No, it's real happiness. It's the joy of the Lord's What keeps you from being free? Well, if I were to sum it up in one word, it's anxiety. Straight up, anxiety. What if I told you that this is what the deep truth is actually trying to combat in you? That the whole reason we jump into this before the foundations of the earth stuff were... Throwing down in Romans and learning about Paul is because I want to see you set free. And the reason God is wanting to give you deep truth is because the only way to combat some of this anxiety is to try to reveal to you what, you, what it's very hard for you to understand. Now listen, it's not hard to understand because you're dumb. It's hard to understand because sin is in you. As soon as Adam fell, what you could see is always in veil. And you're always having to watch that. That's called repentance, by the way. The more you wash your eyes, the more you repent, the more you can see God in His fullness. The more you see God in His fullness, the more you walk in assurance. The more God is veiled from you, the more anxiety you walk in. Am I making the right decisions? Is God always in the Right? And here's where anxiety comes in. Anxiety comes in every time you believe a lie. Every time a lie is told to you, a seed of doubt. The devil doesn't have to say that you're the ugliest person on the planet. He just has to say this. You know where you hear like that? Is God telling you everything? Think about Genesis. You really know it all? Is he withholding from you? All you gotta do is plant the seed. And assurance becomes anxiety. Anxiety says to you, I can't trust God. And now Adam and Eve who stand there who have always been fine, never noticed that they've been new. Never noticed that they're like it says God just walked with them in the garden. Why are they hiding? Had God ever heard them? Had God ever said a mean or angry word to them whatsoever? Why were they hiding? Because the moment anxiety stepped in, they were scared really of his love. <laughs> they were like shocked at his love. Like 
He knows that we have not loved in the same way that he has loved. So that can, what's not right? what, And I love God, like he told you to so. And now think about how hard God, now think about, this is going to change the way you look at the Old Testament, guys. Think about how hard it is now for God to try to tell you anything truthful. Because you wondered. You believed the lie. And there might be some things God's holding out on you. There might be some things that God didn't want to share with you. By the way, I'm not sure he could if he wanted to, because by the way, you don't want to see it. The sin in you, the depravity in you is so great and so deep, you try to humanize everything. You try to humanize everything. Why? Because of anxiety. Because all the doubt in you. Listen, by the way, you combat anxiety with knowing Jesus. You want to walk free? You want to live the abundant life? You want to, you want to walk where you can not have anxiety and trust it? No matter what happens, good or bad, I am loved by God because all things work together for our good. Even when it's some bad times in my life, it's going to work out for my good. Why? Because I know Jesus. Jesus has my best interests. God loves me so much that before the foundations of the world, he called me by name and declared me to be the saint and son and daughter of him. Does that sound like the God who wants to hurt you and pour out his wrath and his anger on you? You've done bad things. Then why bring your son? Why have him go through all that if God didn't love you? The devil's trick and the trick of humanity, the trick of sin and depravity is to create anxiety in you. It's to constantly call you to doubt. And it doesn't work by telling you lies. It works by just putting the seeds of doubt in you. And that only is successful if you aren't in the constant state of washing, of repenting and knowing God. Repentance just allows you to see God more in his clothes. So the more you repent, the more you come to the Lord in those areas, the more you can walk in assurance. When you walk in assurance, you walk in freedom. This is sanctification. This is just this is what happens between justification and glorification. Sanctification, the process of knowing. It's the process of knowing. The more we know Christ, the more we live in assurance, the more assurance we live in, the less anxiety we have, the less anxiety we have, the more freedom we live. This is the key to the abundant life. To the and isn't that what we want this morning? Amen? Amen? Let me share with you one last thing this morning. This is from my own personal study. Now listen, after I've told you everything I, I've told you about God, all right, and now I want you to like, like this week, one of the things I would love to see you try to do is go back and, and look at some of the Old Testament stuff and think about it in the conscious now. How is God, how can God talk to you? And if God is as angry as like we love to talk about him being in the Old Testament, then why all of a sudden do most people like it turns? You ever notice how it turns? Like even with David, oh, everything's bad. It's all horrible. But God is good. And we, we kind of laugh at it like as if God's bipolar or something. But think about it. God has now had to try to unveil his truth to us. And it's hard for us to see it. It bounces against us and rubs us raw because we're trying to understand it from a human concept. So to us, it looks like God is vengeance. God is wrath. God is anger. God is hateful and despiseful. And we make him to be this, there's this multi-personality God that's legalistic on one side that's totally full of wrath and anger if we don't appease, appease the God. Uh, but thankfully, uh, his, his alternate personality, Jesus Christ, uh, totally loves us and beckons the one that hates us to be okay with us. Totally false image, by the way. Totally false way to look at Jesus and God and the triune God. But listen to Jeremiah. Jeremiah like unveils this struggle. This is in chapter three of Lamentations. This is my personal uh, devotions that I do every day, right? And, I, and I'm going to read a little bit, but I want you because I want you to see the fullness of it. He says in chapter three of Lamentations, says, "I am the man who's seen affliction under the rod of his wrath." 
He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand, and again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He's besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled about me so that I cannot escape. He's made my chains heavy, though I call and cry for help. He shuts out my prayers. He's blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me. He's a lion that's hiding. He's Turned aside my steps, he's torn me to pieces, he's made me desolate, he's bent his bow and sent me as a target for his arrows. And listen, he just keeps going on and on and on. Uh, but then he gets to verse 20. And what's happening to Jeremiah? Is he, is, he, is he going crazy? Is something wrong with him? Because all of a sudden in verse 20, here's this also his picture of God. My soul continually remembers that he was bowed down within me, but this I call to mind. This one thing I call to mind, listen, he says, and therefore I have hope. Verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. And it's good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. And let him sit alone in silence when it's laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust that there may be yet hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. Let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though, he, but though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Now, is he bipolar? I just thought God was this horrible thing that you hated in the first, like, 20 verses. But in the latter 20, all of a sudden, he's the God of steadfast love? You know what I think? I think that's how we view the world. I think some days we think God is the meanest thing on the face of the planet and we're, we're the bipolar. And the next thing, next thing it is, is that God uh, man, God's great. You know what I think we have to do often? We have to remind ourselves. I think when we press our sin up against God, when the sin of man, the depravity of men is up against the love of God, by the way. All right? Wrath, wrath is a tool of God's love. The, the anger that we see through wrath and the happenings, the dealing with the people is like labor pains. Think about this. God in his love decides before the foundation of the Lord, he's going to birth Jesus. So the interaction, he just decides, I'm going to pick Israel, and I'm going to try to continue to keep explaining myself to them. They don't understand me. Right? They don't, they don't have a clue about him. One of the things we talked about last Wednesday, I've been talking a lot, a lot about do you think that any of the killing of the lambs and all those things that happened in the Old Testament saved anybody? No. Well, isn't that how they took away sin? No, 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 no. Go read it. Go read Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham was saved. By faith, Moses. By faith, Israel. The same, the same thing we lived under in the New Testament. By faith, we were saved. They lived under in the Old Testament. You know why he did all the other stuff? Because how do you tell a people? walk around blind and deaf to the truth about what you're going to do with Jesus. I'm trying to show you what I'm going to do in Christ. How do I tell somebody? How do I talk to you when you can't talk to me? How do I, when there's a language difference, let's say you all spoke a different language and now like, like David Brayer speaking to the Indians, how do I explain to Indians in my white tongue how to, the gospel of Jesus Christ? So I cut open an animal, I pull out, like, see this, this represents you and I'm trying to explain this, and you're like, dude, this guy is terrifying. 
Like, I don't know if I want to go out there. Guts animals, all that, and burns them. And like, dude, that was good meat, bro. Like, think about how hard this is for God. So really, if you start to look at it, you know what the Old Testament comes? The labor of the pregnancy. It becomes this burden when God is growing Christ. This movement that's coming. Right? That births itself into Matthew. That comes to fruition for the first time. So all the... Oh, oh, by the way, labor, ladies, totally easy, right? <laughs> right? I mean, like, every time I hear comparable, let's you know, put a bowling ball through a garden hose or something. I mean, like, it's always something crazy, like, drastic. All right? Uh, by the way, how would you describe the Old Testament? A bowling ball going through a garden hose? How do you convey something as big as Jesus to a people who can't see or hear? God calls them stiffening. Oh, my gosh. Can you hear the frustration of God in that? You stiff-knit people. And we look at that, it's funny, because when we look at that, we look at that always as like, well, they were just so bad. Well, like, you're not. Think about how he was. Man, you're so determined to see it your way. You're so hard-headed. You, you always make me, I'm either legalistic or I'm all about this. I'm either this way or I'm always this way. I'm either, in, I'm either the first 20 verses, the most worst thing out there, or I'm either the thing that saves us all. Make up your fickle minds. Pick up your minds. And what's the problem? Why do we see the anxiety? All the trouble comes from. They don't know God. God is trying to, to, to make himself known to a people who do not know him, to his own creation. Can you imagine if your child didn't know you? How would you explain to a little child that you're his parents who didn't know who you were? Well, if we got a blood test, we can have blood tests all we want. I don't feel that's a parental tool. How do I explain that? Think about what's the, the, really the, the size and the magnitude of what God's having to do. Now here's a people that hide from him. Your love is scary to us because we don't understand it. We're constantly believing the lie of the doubt. We're constantly believing the seed. We're constantly believing all these other things. There's this gap that just continues to grow all throughout. And Jesus comes and says, man, I've come to make you right. I've come in a way that you can see it now. You can see it now. It's been all talk before. I've been trying to, God's trying to convey with words. Everything that he was going to do so you would know, and it's butted up with the heads of everybody. And it's caused all kinds of grief. This guy's like, no, 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 I'm going to make a way. I'm going to make a way. And so like, there's times where we can't stand God, we can't stand God, but I ain't going to call on God because I know he is the only hope. I don't understand fully what's going on, but what we see, what we understand now is that the love and the wrath of God are really his love. They're tools of his love. I'm going to keep you. You don't know what's best for you. I love you too much to let you just violently waste away. I've come to call you out. I've come to pull you out. And I will do whatever it takes, go wherever need be. And you say, oh, well, I'm too deep in my sin. I'm too deep. Jesus says, no way. I accept you just like you are. Come to me. I love you. Well, I'm not righteous, God. I'll give it to you. I'll give you my righteousness. But you're going to be a part of this fellowship. Because I desire it. I desire it. More than you desire it, I desire you. I desire it. This is the deep truth. He's trying to convey. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to have to discuss some hard things because by the time we get to the field, some of you know, man, we're going to be talking about armor. So it doesn't get easy for the Ephesians. So I want to tell you, when Paul exhorts the church this way, know that there's some tough things ahead. Like, can you imagine Paul says all of that in those few words? They're probably going like, like we do. I won't skip over that. That's just the exhortation. Let's get to the meat. Well, that was the meat, guys. You don't really, it's so easy to talk about uh, the physical things that we struggle with. It's hard to talk about 
how much God loves us and how that thing works and how we struggle to understand God's love and how God's love has engaged us. God's always trying to talk to us and trying to unveil himself to us, and it's so hard. And unless that's why the repentance is so strong, unless you begin to wash yourself, unless you begin to see yourself, clean those things off you that the world has and begin to go back into his word and study and know him and know him and know him. You're always going to live in anxiety. You're always going to live veiled from him. And the more you live veiled from him, then you're never going to be free. You're never going to be free. So that's why Paul's like, man, and, and, and all the epistles and, and Jesus, like, man, repent. Man, repent daily. Pray daily. Repent daily, dude. Wash yourself so all the time. Wash yourself. You're going to pick it up from everywhere. You're going to watch some sci-fi show and go, Man, I bet, see, I see how God does it. And all of a sudden, it's going to be kind of some weird theology you get, you know? Repent. Read the Bible. Get to know God. Hear God's word. Let, 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 your, let your ears hear what God's saying to you. That's what's going to be important in the end. Nothing's going to bring me freedom like, like God's word. Because knowing him is going to be the most important thing you do in your life. If you want to walk free this morning, if you want to walk without anxiety this morning, I beg you, I plead you, grow. How do I do that? Curl myself. Uh, you can pour some water on yourself. You can open your Bible in the morning and read five minutes. You can pray five minutes in the morning. Some of you, man, I say you can pray fast. You're like, I prayed for all 565 people that I know in two minutes. So I don't know what to do with the other three minutes, Pastor. Well, I can try to find a list. I don't know. I can amp up the amount of people you know on Facebook and Instagram. I, guess. I, don't, I don't know. Pray for all those people just like five minutes ago. I don't know. If I don't Facebook, I don't know. Pray for all of them. There's a lot of people to pray for. But spend a little time in prayer, spend a little time in the Word, and you're going to grow. But you can't sit still. God ain't going to let you. That's when all this bad stuff happens. No, But listen, it's not to say that bad stuff's not going to happen to me. No, it'll happen. The difference in me and you is that it won't be the death for me. You'd be like, how do you handle that? You just pick your hand so easy. Because I know Jesus. Everything works together for my good because I'm called according to his purpose. I am the son of God. Right? Through Christ Jesus. I am free because of that, man. I ain't living in no anxiety. I live in the assurance that God, I'm going to heaven. I, you, there's nothing you can say to turn me. I love uh, Rodney Howard Brown who once said, um, if you come to tell me Jesus ain't real, you just move on down the road. It's too late for me, man. I'm sold out. I'm sold out. I absolutely believe the gospel. I absolutely believe Jesus when he says he loves me. I absolutely believe Jesus when he says that all that are in my hand can no one take them out. Yeah, amen. And I'm going to tell you right now, you know where I am? Right there in his hand. Amen. Good luck. Good luck, world. Good luck, devil. Good luck, demons. Doesn't mean you can't make my life miserable. That's right. But I'm assured about where I'm going. I'm assured about who loves me. And my God is bigger than anything, any purpose, anything this world can throw at me. I'm going to tell you, I don't get it right a lot, but I'm going to tell you, I keep repenting and I keep washing over myself and I keep cleaning myself up. I keep getting back in the Bible. Why? Because my hope is not in anything of this world. My hope is in Him and this idea of abundant life. I desperately, desperately, desperately want it so bad that I'm willing to spend bits of my time in study and bits of my time in prayer because I want the abundant life. The one that everybody's trying to figure out, they're writing self-help books and these motivational speeches, you know, where we listen to Rocky. It's about how you get knocked down and get back up. Look, I'm going to tell you right now, you want to read a good speech, man, read the Bible. Yeah. I promise you, there's life in it. There's life in it. Now, we're going to worship a little this morning. But if there was ever a time, man, to wash yourself over, it's during worship.
so that when the time for the altar comes, the time for the or where we can kind of come together, because that's really what the altar is. The altar is this time where we come before the Lord, we lay ourselves down. Like, you can repent right where you're at, but this altar is a time where we can kind of build each other up. We can pray for each other. We can share our burdens with one another. So we're going to go to worship, and then during that worship, as we're singing some of these songs, man, take the time to say, Lord, man, I repent. I repent. I turn. Listen, I don't care how long you've been saved, man. If you know anything, you repent daily. <laughs> you repent daily. Why? Because we don't want to live in anxiety any longer. Don't you want to live in assurance? Don't you want to live in the know? Where you know Jesus and you walk and that way you're not worried about the situation, man. I'm going to make a decision. No matter what that decision is, I don't have to worry about it. Because who's with me? Jesus. Jesus knows the decision I'm going to make. He's going to be with me, good or bad decision. Doesn't matter. And you know what it's going to be? It's going to be all right no matter what. Why? Because God loves me. There's nothing in this life I can't handle because I have Him who walks with me. Amen. Stand to
This morning, we're going to take a few minutes just while we keep kind of playing things of uh, the Spirit right now. And there are those who I know need prayer this morning, and those who are just like, maybe you've heard something today in this deep truth that, uh, um, you need help maybe with the washing. Maybe, maybe anxiety is in trouble. That anxiety is keeping you from believing the truth of God who loves you. That before the foundation of the world, God has called you through destiny. Son and the daughter of the Father. And this morning, that you're struggling with anxiety, you're struggling with decisions, and you just, like, out of a step of faith, say, God, I'm going to step forward. Uh, it's not about being seen, it's about saying, in faith, I believe you are big enough and you love me and you will handle that which I have. Will you just do that this morning? Will you just take a step out, come before the altar this morning? There's nothing special to that. There's nothing uh, that's going to like instantaneously happen. Now, it might in the Holy Spirit, it, uh, something could happen. It's definitely possible when we step out into faith and start to believe things. By the way, Jesus is a supernatural God, and there's a reason that you see the Holy Spirit working through the book of Acts. You see it because people stepped out in faith and believed. Stepped out in faith. I'm just going to kind of walk by and I'm just going to pray with you, pray alongside you. Let's pray, Father. Lord, we cast off all anxiety. We cast off all seeds of doubt. We live and walk in assurance, God, that you've given us, God. We will not believe the enemy. We will not believe his words and 
We will not believe the things he says to us, but we will, God, walk in faith. We will believe in your love. We will believe in the furious love of God that desires to have us so greatly he would do anything. He would transcend time. He would come down from his stoop in heaven and be amongst us and walk amongst us. Lord, we know that that's your love in progress. We know that your love will walk through our decisions, Lord, the good ones, the bad ones, God. That your love will walk us through the times when we doubt. That your love will walk us through the times when we heap loads of guilt upon ourselves, God, for the things that we may have done, God. But, Father, we know through our knowing in you, God, we know through our knowing of knowing, God, that there is no guilt or no condemnation that can come from you, God. For it is written in your word. So when they stepped forward today, they threw those things down, that baggage that is not yours, God, but it, it has come from their anxiety. They throw it down to the ground. And they stand on this principle this morning, God, that your love is bigger. Your love is greater than their worries. Your love is great. What you have to offer them, the freedom that you want to bestow upon them. Now, Lord... Right now in the spirit, I just challenge them, God, to pursue you and know you. For there is no freedom outside of knowing Jesus. And the more you know Jesus, the more freedom you walk in. The more you know Jesus, the more hope you walk into. And the more you know Jesus, the more life you walk into. And all that is around you and all that is near you becomes life. So God, by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, the power of the Holy Spirit of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Bring them into the place where they feel, tangibly feel, the adoption of the triune God who has called you from the beginning. You are not here by accident. You are not here by some circumstantial uh, uh, incident where you met somebody that knows somebody. You are here because God has called you by name. Walk in that assurance this morning. Know the living God. May his spirit be on you always. In Jesus' name. And the whole church says amen. 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 Walk in that truth this morning, guys. Walk in that truth. Walk in that truth. Walk in it now. Believe it. I don't care what somebody says to you, you walk in. I don't care what somebody tries to plant a seed. Well, just because you've been going there, just because you think you're going there means, no, 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 no. I don't care what they say. Jesus loves you just like you are. Just like you are, not as you should be. For none of us are as we should be. Amen. Amen. Nobody's better. Nobody's worse. We're all the sons and daughters of God. We all walk in love. Our lives might look different at times, and the argument is funny because we would say, "Well, some better, some worse." Are you kidding me? It's all the same life. There's ups and downs, and that's it in life. But the one constant through the up and down is Jesus. He's the hope. We have hope that there's something mine. Listen, it's not up ahead. It's now. You can have the life of abundance now. Just walk in the middle.
the middle of the street. Spend five minutes this week. Spend, uh, if you spend a day, that's great. If you can spend five minutes during the week, do it. The more you know Jesus, the more you, these things that you should be prepared, they'll dissipate. And listen, life's full of more things, I promise you. So don't, don't get all down. As soon as one thing's gone, it's another. Welcome to life. That's why Jesus said, I'm going to walk with you. Is that okay? Can I walk with you? Like so when this day goes good, you're like, yeah, this day was awesome. The next day was horrible. Right, Jesus goes, it's okay. I'm here. It's all, it's all right. We got this. We got this. We can do this. It's good. We got this. And then the next day is great. You're like, yeah, Jesus is awesome. Yeah, he is. And when he gets bad, guess what? Jesus is awesome. Because he's still right there with you. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. He's not some like God that's waiting on you to mess up. Well, you messed up now. I can't walk with you. That like defies everything he says, by the way. Don't believe into that. That's the that's the lie of anxiety, by the way. That believes that somehow that as soon as you mess up, Jesus is like, oh, that's it. Divorced. We're done. No, you don't get to. Just like, dude, I got this thick and thin. You have now, here's what I do know. You haven't experienced a friendship like that. And it's very foreign to you. And so part of the knowing Jesus is you come into the understanding of what love really is because your idea of love is also sweet, guys. So Jesus is also trying to teach you what love is. And it's hard to talk to you about love because you're like, I totally know what love is. No, you don't. Right? And Jesus has got to beat some of that down too. But it's okay. He's like, dude, we got time. I'm going to be here. I got you. We got time. Amen? <laughs> Hug somebody before you leave. Love on somebody before you leave. Don't, don't, don't escape this place without loving on someone. 